Heavenly Father, we worship you and we praise you, for you are worthy. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be so thick this morning, for I know that you will speak through me. But what I ask is that you will give ears to hear and hearts to receive. Permeate this place with your love. And for all of those, whether they are here or they are online, touch them deep in their hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what to say. Because the Lord downloaded so much to me in the last three songs. But it's not what I'm supposed to preach this morning. I need, need time to process. But I'll tell you what he told me, because I think it's significant. I just don't know what it means completely. We will get to the other screen. <laughs> Thank you. He's told us he's doing a new thing. We can't know what a new thing is, right, until it happens. Then we get an idea of what this new thing is. But he gave me a framework of that new thing, of that new thing just now. And we keep looking for what we see in the book of Acts. We've asked for those things. We've asked that that church rise up again. But it's different because he's doing a new thing. And I don't know why I didn't understand it before. But what he told me gave me clarity in what he's doing. See, this new thing is going to look a lot more like the Old Testament than it looks like in the book of Acts. I don't know fully what that means except that it will be a matter of conquering and not just rising up. See, look at it as an ending time of the bride. The bride began, the church began in the book of Acts. We know that that began the end times as well, because the, the church age, the, the time of the bride is the end times. But there comes to a point where that bride is ready, and he comes and takes his bride. But then there's the whole preparation time. 
There's the whole rising up of that bride to be prepared, of that bride to be readied, of that church ready to receive their Messiah. And that will not happen like it did in the book of Acts. It will happen much like it did in the book of Joshua. And that's what he downloaded to me. I look at what he's been doing in us for three years. I look at the fact that what he has shown us is the battlefield. What he has shown us is the enemy. What he has shown us is how to engage in that battle, how to be prepared for that battle, how to see forward enough to see that promised land. His calling on our lives, His calling on this church, His calling on the bride completely. And then He's prepared us for battle. See, it's very different than the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there was no conquering. There was no readying of the bride. In the book of Acts, it was the beginning of the bride. It was the very start of God taking His Word to the Gentiles because it was rejected by His people. But we know in the Word of God that God is not done with His people. The Jewish community, the Jewish people are His people that never changed. It never will change. But because he was rejected by his people, God brought in and opened it up to everyone else. But that time must come to an end so that God can go back with his son Jesus Christ as the Messiah to bring his people under his wing. See, he will not return until Israel cries out, for him to return. But there is something that has to happen before that. There's something that has to happen for that to be a possibility. And that is the readying of the bride. And what that's going to look like is much more like the book of Joshua than the book of Acts. Because he is raising up an army to conquer. He is raising up an army that will say, no matter what, I will step on the battlefield no matter the cost. So you have to take out of your mind and you have to erase everything you know and everything that you understand about cost. Everything to expect in the road ahead. You have to take it out of your mind and understand that what God wants to do is new. And the thing that he laid on my heart this morning, going back to the other slide, is exactly what the slide says. Don't settle. And it's no mistake. God never makes mistakes. Last night on the call, I didn't know what he had wanted me to preach on this morning. And 
I'm so thankful for my wife, and she prayed on the call that he would download to me. And, and so last night, shortly after the call, after the prayer call, the Lord gave me a couple of references that he wanted me to go to, and I spent some time with him last night and then some time with him this morning just asking what he wanted of this. And I want to take you to the first place that he took me or within that time frame. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 23. Keeping in mind what he downloaded to me a few minutes ago about what this readying of the bride will look like. See, it's, it's just not going to be what we think. It's not going to be that we're going to get in a building and we're going to grow huge and, and, and then all of a sudden we have churches all over the world and we have, we, we literally put this out there because of sheer influence. It's not going to be that. See, a single voice operating in the power of God will have the power to let that voice be heard all over the world. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to grow. Get that out of your mind. That's not my point. My point is there is power that comes from anything, anything that God decides to do. See, he took the land of Canaan through simple obedience. In fact, Jericho, they never even lifted a sword. They lifted a voice. They lifted a voice of praise. They lifted a shout. That I felt that in my spirit when we shouted and the shofar was blown. I don't know if you felt that this morning. I felt that so strong, but... But Exodus chapter 23, we're going to begin at verse 20. See, there was a promise given to God's people. There was a promise that they could count on, that they could hold Him to, that they could expect in their lifetime. And this is what it is. Verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to a place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice, this angel that God sends. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. I want to point something out. The children of Israel did not know who these people were. Because these were the people that inhabited the promised land that they had not received yet. In fact, at this point, they had not even gone to spy out the land yet. 
They didn't know what was going on. And God's telling them ahead of time, looking ahead, two phases. First of all, that you're going to throw all these people out. Because I am God, he said. If you're obedient to my voice, I will do this. But then he also warns them of something else that they ended up falling to. And he said, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them as they do. Does that sound familiar? He's saying, you could be in the world, but you cannot be of the world. It's the same thing. And I'm sorry if that, if that decision is difficult for you. You were perhaps born in a more difficult time because things are about to become black and white. This is not a time where the, the movement of God is going to be up and down. Where you can move with the movement of God and pick and choose the portions that you want to be a part of. See, for the children of Israel, it was yes or no. Come or don't come. It wasn't, come on over, see how it is. And if you like it, you can stay. This is how it is today. Our Father is drawing a line in the sand. And He's saying, you are either for me or you're against me. And if you are part of the bride, you are either allowing yourself to be readied by Him or not. So see, it comes down to the choice. Do you want to settle for your will? Or do you want to go after His? Let's keep reading. This is the promise that was given. Verse 25. You shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate desolate, and the wild beasts multiply against you. What he's saying here is, I'm going to do it in my timing because I know what's best for you. See, understand, he, the promise to Israel was not just land. It was not just land, but it was that God would bless them in the land. That God would cover them. That God would move with them in the land. That He would do it. Not them. He would take care of it. See, that's what He wants to do right now. He doesn't want people that are smart enough to do it themselves or prideful enough to say, well, I already know how this works. So God, I just need your help on this part of it, because I got this. 
See, he's looking for people that are willing to say, I want every word from you, Father. I want everything that you have placed my feet on. Every path that you put me on, I want it to come from you. And I want you to lead it. That's what he's promising Israel here. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you Sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. See, this promise that he made to them had conditions. This promise had the conditions that they were to be all gods. In other words, they were not to belong to any other God. They were not to serve any other God. They were not to follow any other voice. They were to be all God's. All His. I find that that is the very thing He is placing on us now. What keeps screaming to my mind is, I would rather you be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You ever wonder why? You ever wonder why he wrote that verse? Does that mean that, 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 that the, the lukewarm people aren't saved and he's just fed up with them? No, do you understand? He was speaking to the church. He was saying, at this time, there is no time for you to be lukewarm. Because what I am doing in my bride to bring a close to this age, to bring my son back to where he is supposed to be, I need you to be hot. I need you to decide everything that he wants is a complete yes. Just do it in my life, Lord. Now, I'm not saying you don't see remnants of that in the book of Acts. You do. Because we have, we have a blueprint in the book of Acts as to how to walk in the Spirit and walk in His power no, no matter what faces us. But see, the difference in the book of Acts is He did not raise up an army. He did not raise up an army that defeated literally the rest of the world. But yet He has to do that before the bride is ready to be taken. So what he is doing today, he is raising up an army that is willing to say, whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want. And it's a much tougher thing to do than it is to say. I know. Because, see, he requires obedience first. He shows the promises. Then he requires obedience long before 
the manifestation. Long before he ever gives, someone should turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And we're gonna, we're just gonna read from 25. See, now it's at the point where those same children of Israel are at the edge of the promised land. At the edge of the promised land, and the Lord is saying, go in and see my promise. So they send in 12 spies. See my promise. See what I have said is true. All the things I've told you that I'm going to do is true. Compare it to today. He has shown his love. He's shown his giftings. He's shown his prophecies. We are beginning to see as we go into the land, as we send those spies in to see what those promises are, we're going to see that they're better than what he said. Because that's what happens here. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And these are the, the spies that went out and they're coming back now. So they were in the land for 40 days, seeing all the promise for 40 days. And they came to Moses and Aaron and told the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. By the way, they were carrying clusters of grapes that had to be carried by two men. I don't know about you. Does that mean the grapes are like huge or the clusters are huge? It's like, can you imagine eating one big grape like a watermelon? No, but the fruit was, was something they had never seen before. It wasn't that they were just promised land. They were promised a fruitful land. They were promised everything within that land. Oh man, one of the saddest words. Verse 28, however, uh, it just breaks my heart. I've been going through the Old Testament last couple days and, and it just breaks my heart when there's opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. However, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. I don't know why that surprised them. Because God had already told them what he was going to conquer through them. So why... Why did they think that they wouldn't have to battle anything when they went in? But see, for the entire 40 days, God, or for the entire time since they came out of Egypt, God was showing them time after time after time proof that He was going to do it. That He was going to lead them. That when something was needed, he was going to provide it. He provided the manna. He provided even, even the quail when they wanted meat. 
Now, what a gracious God. He could have just thrown the quail at him. Instead, he said, you want quail? I'll give you quail. Here, here's about, I think it was like three feet or four feet of it. Now, some of you hunters may think that was pretty cool, but uh, it's more fun to hunt them than to just go pick them up, I suppose. But think about it. God was teaching them, I will provide everything. I will do everything. And now they're giving the however. That what they should have said is, however, the people in the land are strong, and it's all these people there and everything else. But the Lord already told us that. And he promised that we can do it. But yet they didn't. Only two did. Verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, as so we seemed to them. What a sad reaction. See, they had the opportunity in their hands. They had the opportunity in their hands. They knew the promises of God. They knew the calling of God. They knew they were His people. Recognize, they just came out of 400 years of slavery. 400 years of slavery. And yet, God said... It's time. It's time for me to give you the land. It's time for you to become a powerful nation under me, believing only in me. God said it was time. But see, the sad part is, He requires human agreement. If He's going to work in your life, He requires your agreement for His plan for your life. He's not just going to force you. I thank God that he looks at hearts. Because oftentimes when we think we're doing something, being obedient to him, we're really not. But as our heart loves him, he works with that. But ultimately he needs a yes. Ultimately he needs... To, for people to recognize that His promises are bigger than any obstacles in the way. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if God says something will happen that doesn't seem possible to happen, what's your initial reaction? I trust God. That's mine. But when you see the evidence that seems opposite of that, 
What happens then? See, that's where the true test comes in. When you have heard the promises for your life, when we have heard the promises for this church and the callings for this church, and then we, begin, we, we even see those and we see the fruit of them and we see that land afar off. We see what God wants to do. We understand the readying of the bride and that, that there's this voice that needs to get out there. We see it. But then when we begin to recognize what it's going to take to have it, that's when human reasoning can get in the way. That's when our own feelings can become a detriment. See, because we look at this life as something that we've got to get through instead of a life that we want to allow God to accomplish something through. We worry about our careers. We worry about our bills. We worry about our our families, our children. We worry about these external things that God has perhaps placed in our responsibility. But the sad thing is that we take that responsibility and He wants us to give it back to Him. But we keep it. We keep it because, see, I can handle this now. I know how to do this now. You gave me this business, so I know how to run it. I know how to do it. Trust me. Man, I've got a lot of experience in that one. But what he wants is for us to to take it, take that human responsibility and give it back to him. And say, by faith, Lord, you will guide me in it. If it seems like it's overwhelming to me now, what am I doing to overwhelm myself, Father? Because you are the one that I want to be in control. See, you guys know the story. Children of Israel turned around and said no. Even though Joshua and Caleb said yes, they couldn't move forward. Because the rest said no. That's a sobering thought. And because of that, they spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. They spent the next 40 years worrying about the very things that they worried about. Prior to that, there was no victory. There was no victory. They were so close to victory. They were literally right across the river from victory. Do you think if they would have had a better report or if they wouldn't have believed that report and they would have gone into the promised land right then, do you think God would have done everything that he did to Joshua? You bet. You bet he would have. Difference is God would have been more pleased Because they would have just said, you took us out of Egypt. Why wouldn't we trust you for everything else? Look at what God has done in your life. Look at what he has shown you. Look at what he has brought you in peace in your life. Are you not going to trust him in everything? Look at what he's done here at Ignition, what he has shown us, what he is, he's shown us the promised land. He's shown us more than that. He's shown us a need. 
He's shown us a need of the bride in this world to have her eyes opened. Do you not believe that he's going to equip you for that? Do you not believe that he is going to give you everything you need to be a part of that army that moves forward? Absolutely. See, 40 years later, they had another opportunity. And that was with Joshua. And Joshua said, we will not make the same mistakes we did before. And I, and I think after 40 years, I think, I think Joshua and Caleb spent 40 years just talking into the people. When he gives us another chance, you better not screw this up again. I'm not even talking to the older people because they'll be gone and died. Anybody over 20 was going to be dead. That's pretty harsh, right? Lucky I'm 19. <laughs> right. I can imagine Joshua and Caleb are just pouring into them. We're going to have another chance. Just, just let it be in your hearts. And he's pouring into the young people. Because he's saying, young people, you're the ones that are going to rise up. Because God's curse against this was only on those who held the decision not to go. So when it was Joshua's time to take over and Joshua's time to lead, they went in with full faith. But see, they didn't go in unprepared. They went in as warriors. And if you don't believe me in that fact, recognize what happened when, when a theophany of Jesus Christ, he, he, he presented himself as an angel, but Joshua is outside the city of Jericho and this angel that he thought was a man, he didn't recognize it as, a, as an angel, but he's standing there with a sword out. Joshua draws his sword and he says, are you for us or against us? Not realizing this was God. Because when he realized it, Joshua bowed. But understand his reaction first. Are you for us or against us? Because I am not going to allow anything to get in our way here. Nothing will get in our way. We will say yes to Jesus Christ. Or back then to God, they didn't know the name Jesus. We will say yes to our Messiah. We will say yes to what he wants. And nothing will get in the way. See, that's where we need to be today. Nothing can get in the way of this. And I declare it today before the Lord, before everybody else, that to my dying breath, nothing will get in the way of His calling for ignition. We will move forward as He moves our steps. We will move forward. Because we see the promised land. He's given me vision of it. He's given me vision of a church that is ready to be received by their, their groom. And I'll tell you what. It's amazing. That's a world that we don't know. That's a world that, that the world has never seen before. Because do you see what he's doing in the bride is what he wanted to do in the children of Israel. So to get them to come to a place of jealousy, understand this, that Israel will come to a place of jealousy over the church because the church, this is Revelation 3.9 folks, 
They will be jealous of the church because the church will be seen to have God's favor. This isn't the little local ABC church down on the corner. This is the global church. This is the bride. He's going to ready the bride to the point where Israel sees, I want that. Then he'll say, okay, okay, let me, let me go get my bride. And then you're going to have it. And then he fights for Israel. And that's it. the young people we've been going through Revelation. That's what Revelation is all about. It's about the protection of Israel and the judgment of the world after the church is gone. But understand that there has to come to a point first where the church is readied. And the tough part is, that this isn't something that you could go halfway on. This is an all or nothing thing. The readying of the bride, the readying of the church is an all or nothing thing. I, w- I want to tell you a story. Well, we're going to turn to First uh, Samuel. And I want to look at a story where someone did it right. Where someone didn't cower in fear. And the amazing thing is you'd look at this person and the odds that were against their life and think, man, they had every opportunity to turn in fear. First Samuel chapter 16. And this is the anointing of David. Now remember, David's just a shepherd. He's a shepherd boy in a field with a bunch of sheep. And lots of time on his hands. (laughs) Lots of time on his hands. He didn't have an iPad, right, that he could play games with. I mean, I, I think he was thrilled when he had to take on a lion or a bear because it broke the monotony. Right? But, but he was, he was being trained by God in a field being alone because he was there with God. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. This is, this is where Samuel is, God has told Samuel to come here looking for the future king and to anoint him. This is after God took his favor off of Saul. And Samuel's, you know, he starts looking at all of Jesse's kids. Jesse had eight boys and he only brings seven out. Yeah, it's, it's got to be one of these seven. We'll leave David out in the field because he's a little different anyways, right? Verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither is the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. 
kind of like, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to him. He's, he's kind of the weird one in the field, right? Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. From that point, he was put in the service of Saul. In fact, he became his armor bearer. And really what he did was he was his consoler when... Saul had evil spirits come upon him because David played the harp. So he, he began to be engaged in his calling. But imagine his thought process in this. He knows he was called to be king. He knows that Samuel anointed him as king. His brother saw it. His dad saw it. He knows all that. He's been shown the promise. But yet, he is in the palace, literally getting spears thrown at him. See how that plays with your mind a little bit? Wait a second, God, this isn't what you... God, I'm supposed to be on that throne. I'm not supposed to have spears thrown at my head. Is that how he reacted? Well, maybe, maybe he thought it, I don't know. But his reaction was, I better play a little louder. Get rid of this thing on Saul. Because I know my destiny. I know what God has called in me. I know what he has said that he is going to do, and I believe him. So there came an opportunity. And here's the thing I love. Is every time that God calls you in your life, shows you that promised land, shows you a piece of what he wants to do, He then follows it up with opportunity. Opportunity to show him that you're giving your yes. Opportunity to show him that you trust him. Opportunity to infuse into the situation your complete faith on what he's doing. And that's what happened in chapter 17. Just move to chapter 17. And... We're going to read further down, but just to, just to let you know what's going on here. Israel is at war with the Philistines. And they have this really big guy. Right? Stood nine feet tall. Can you imagine a nine-footer? I don't know what nine feet is. It's probably somewhere close to the bottom of that win- window. Now, David's not as tall as me. I, I, think, I think David was pretty short. I know his statue is short, so I'm assuming he's short, right? You know, the Bible said he was, a, he was a little ruddy guy. Beautiful, good looking, but he was small. Can you imagine looking up and seeing something almost double what he was? See, that's what's going on. They have this, this Philistine, this leader of the armies, that, that his mouth was probably as big as his body, and he, he's out there just defaming the, the Lord of the Jews. 
saying Israel is nothing. And then David one day goes to the war, which I, I, I find interesting. It's like, it's like his father said, here, take, take your brother's lunch. <laughs> Hold on, I've got to take lunch to the war, and then I'll be back. I don't know, that just sounded weird to me, but anyways. So David is around, he brings lunch to, the, to his brothers, and he overhears this, this Goliath saying what he says, and then he's asking the men around him, what's going on? So we're going to start at verse 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine or takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine Philistine, that they should defy the armies of the living God? Now recognize what he's doing here. Okay, I want you to dive into, into David's mind for a second. He didn't say, why are you guys allowing him to say that? What are you doing? Are you a bunch of babies? God already said he'll take care of it. Why are you letting him talk about our God like this? See, he didn't say that. I think in the back of David's mind, he's thinking, I know my promise. I know I'm going to be king. I know God is with me. I know God's going to... So, so what happens if to the guy who gets rid of this guy? So he's thinking in the back of his mind, okay, Lord, is this your opportunity? Is this your opportunity? Is this your plan? Because I'm sure not going to let him talk about you that way. As David said, or wait, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know you're... That's just a typical big brother, right? I don't have a big brother, but (laughs) that was me. Sorry. What are you doing here? You're you're cramping my style. That's kind of what he's saying here. Why, why are you even here? Go, go deal with your few little sheep because we have work to do. Uh, apparently their work was just being afraid. Mm-hmm. And they were good at it. Yeah. I know your presumption and the evilness of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And I can just imagine in his mind saying, Lord, Lord, where's that opportunity? Because these guys are driving me insane. They know that I was called to be king. They were there. They saw everything. And they treat me like a shepherd. Right? And he turned away from him and toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. (laughs) So, So David's like, talk to the hand. I'm going to talk to these people. Because I know this is opportunity, God. I know this is opportunity because he's nothing. I've dealt with stuff like that bigger than that. Well, harder than that. You know, I would think if I was really good with a slingshot, you know, what, what he used to take down Goliath, and, and I had the choice of taking on Goliath where I could throw a stone at him and still be able to run, Versus a lion coming up to me with his mouth, and literally I am grabbing the mane under his mouth and on top and ripping him apart. 
I would choose a Goliath. Right? I would choose, I, I'm thinking that's what David's thinking in his mind is, is, man, this guy's so much easier than that. That lion, I mean, he was right there. He almost got me. And I was able to take care of him and that bear. I would, and by the way, it's plural. It wasn't just one lion and one bear. It was multiple. You've got to figure that after a while, the lion start, stopped coming around. Yeah, mess with anybody else. Don't mess with him. I know he's small, but don't mess with him. So all this is running through David's mind. Is this the opportunity, Lord? Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I missed one, didn't I? No, I didn't. Verse 32, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. See, it just makes sense, right? It just makes sense. You know, here's this big guy, and you're this little guy. You can't go up against him. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Now, in Saul's mind, I don't know why he didn't think automatically, I mean, it doesn't hurt us to try. And that's eventually where, where Saul comes to. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. <laughs> okay, this is, this, is, this is David expounding upon his resume. I used to do that. Okay, no, he used to do that a couple hours before because he had just come. So he's, oh, I used to do that. I used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, opportunity was given, David. He was shown his promise. The Lord revealed to him his, his promise for his life. And then he gave opportunity. See now, now David was already in Saul's house. He was already working with him. But that wasn't the real opportunity. The real opportunity came through what? Through a battle. The opportunity was shown through the battle. That David was the only one courageous enough to step through, through with. He didn't scare him because he knew that his God was mightier. See, we face this every day. Our Goliaths look a little different than a nine-foot guy. Things were a little simpler back then. But our Goliaths are no less devastating. What we deal with every day, what we look at every day, 
can be a Goliath in our life. Sometimes what we deal with physically. Sometimes what we deal with in our, in our work, in our careers. Sometimes what we deal with in our families. Sometimes what we deal with inside of ourselves. They could be Goliaths. But those are opportunities. Those are opportunities to step forward in faith knowing that our God is mightier than those Goliaths. We know how David's life turned out. Now, by the way, he wasn't thrust to kingship right then. Right? He ended up being in in Saul's army, in, in fact, leading his army, became more popular than Saul. And that created the problem of Saul going after him. The entire time, and we won't go through it, I'm just closing, but the entire time, David knew his promise. He knew what God wanted to do in his life. And he kept pressing forward, not taking anything that he could and had the right to take. For instance, twice he had the, he had the capability and the human right to take Saul's life because Saul was after him and became vulnerable. And yet David did not do it. Why? Because he wanted God's timing. See, David could have taken Saul's life either one of those two times and became king right then. But it wasn't God's timing. Because David said, will I, I will never raise my hand against the God's anointed. Why? Because he knew God would do it. And he, would, he knew God would do it in a timing that would be perfect for David to reach his promised land. For David to reach the very promises that God had for his life. So don't settle. Where you're at in your life right now, you're fighting. You're going after God's best. You're dealing with issues that, that hold you back from that. Don't settle on the partial promise of God because He wants to give you it all. He's saying that to you individually, but He's saying that to Ignition as well. Don't settle. Why? Because this bride has settled. This bride has settled into a functionality that they can control into a, a, a business concept that they know if they do A and add B, they will receive C. And God said, don't settle. Don't settle for that. Because God wants us just to be compliant to His will and let Him give C however He wants to do it. Trust and what He's doing in your life, as you seek Him and seek His will, trust what He's doing in your life. Don't be afraid of the battles. Don't be afraid of the battles. They may look scary, like that big guy, 
but they're not. Because if you are filled with the power of God, it is no match. That that big guy's no match. The problems in your life, they're no match for God. Ignore the feelings of them. Do you you not think David had some feelings about this? Do you not think that he was at least a little anxious about it? As he's running out there, if you read the story further on, he's running out there, Lord, you know, make true. Make this true. Make make true the 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 sling. He's he, you know, that's kind of like saying, God, you told me you had this, you better have this. <laughs> right? In your own life, trust him. Trust him. Fight what you need to fight. Pull people into the warfare you need to pull the pull into the warfare. Fight for each other. Because, see, we have a Philistine that's standing across the way shouting out blasphemies against our God. And we have something we can do about it. We could just trust him and move forward in that battle and be conquerors. Right? Revelation 3.25 To serve with him it will be the conquerors that serve with him. And everything about that requires a battle. Requires you to be a fighter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and praise you. And God, I just pray right now that you speak to hearts. Lord, help each of us to recognize where we are at in you, where we're at in relationship with you, and where we're at in this calling that you've placed us in. Lord, I pray for receptive hearts. I pray for such a joy, such a peace, that would turn us into hot Christians, not cold, not lukewarm, but on fire for you, recognizing there is nothing more important, no plan that we have in life that is as important. Send your Holy Spirit right now, Father. Convict our hearts. Uplift our hearts. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, nobody looking around. There has to be a moment in time to begin building this relationship with God. To begin to see His promises for your life. There has to be a moment in time where you said yes to Jesus Christ. Where you believed that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God that came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father. There, there has to be that moment in time that you did that. And with nobody looking around, I want to give opportunity right now for anyone in here that has not done that. If you do not remember a time 
where you asked Jesus Christ into your heart and you gave him your heart and gave him your life with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you. Is there anyone? So at that moment that you did this, you were brought into a family that you have a place with. That there is love. There is joy. But there's also great responsibility. Father, draw us close as a family. And this army that you are rising up Teach us, Lord, how to trust your voice and how to hear from you. For we see your promised land. We're eager for it. We pray that you speak. In Jesus' precious name, amen. What a good, good word. What a good, um, directly from the Lord, uh, a reminder. I, those stories are so familiar, and yet the Holy Spirit can enlighten you in a completely different way. And I, I boy, if there's just a message that I'd encourage you to listen to again, to watch again, even this afternoon on Facebook, live, um, definitely watch this one again, because it is, um, it is powerful. I I often think about, it was reminded when he was talking about the 12 spies, that the influence, you know, they all saw the same thing. They were all together, the 12 spies that that scouted out the land. And it's so interesting to me (coughs) how different the reports can be, how different the news can be based on what they're seeing. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you know, that's what it looks like with life. It's like, you know, they all know, they all had a promised land promise. They all had even a mission. They were all together. But some of them decided that the circumstances were too great for them to actually make it. And isn't it true that how much that is kind of where we, get, where we end up settling, like the slide said. We end up settling. We look at, you know, well, I'm just too busy right now. I just, I've got too much going on. You just don't know what I'm going through in my job. And, you know, any time in life. As soon as you start in a, the workforce, you will come against obstacles like that. You will come against, some people consider some of their work obstacles like a Goliath. But God only showed them the obstacles to show them the strategy of which he would be delivering them from. See, and that was the difference in the two, in the Joshua and Caleb report. They saw the giants, they saw the obstacles, So, but their lens was Yeah, yeah, we saw they're huge. Look at the victory we're going to have when God defeats them through us. You know, their whole perspective was different. It wasn't like some people saw giants and other people didn't see giants. They all saw the obstacles. It's just that two of them saw that it was God that was going to have the victory and not, you know, themselves. So we all struggle in life. We all have obstacles. I think people sometimes think that, well, you know, Greg, you're full-time. You know, you're... 
you know, this is what you, this is all you do. So of course you're going to, you know, of course you're going to show up at every service because you know, you, this is all you do. And and yet there all of our obstacles look different. You know, there are any number of challenges. If you're going to be one of the spies that looks at life and looks at your destiny and your promised land through the lens of all of the ites, which when I say ites, that scripture was read today. The Hivites, the <coughs> Perizzites, the Jebusites. That's what I mean when I say ites, because it's a representative of the obstacles that we face, all the battles that we take on. You know, when you look at I mean, everybody has them. We all have the battles, but we really, it's just the lens through which we see it. You, you cannot sit back. The settling mentality, and it permeates our society today, is, yeah, I might have something good, but I'm just going to sit back and just, you know, just... Let it happen. You know, if God wants to bless me, man, I'm, I'm here. Just bless me. We don't really step into the blessing and take the ground that is ours. And that's probably one of the most significant things about the story is that they had to take the ground to get it. It was promised, but it wasn't handed them because he wanted to do more than just have them occupied. He wanted to bless them, as Greg said. So look at that today because, um, you know, I, we were talking with Jeff and Bryn recently, and, and Jeff made a statement that it sums up so much of even what I was thinking about in this message, which is the obvious fact that it's easy to say, you love God, and I want you, God, and I praise you, God, and you know, you're first, seek ye first, yeah, that's, I'm all in. It's easy to say it, very hard to do it, yeah. very hard to walk it. The walking is where we, we stumble, because... I don't doubt for a second that almost every heart in here is, yes, Greg, yes, Greg, oh, I, I, yes, oh, Holy Spirit, yes. You know, because we're, we're already in a unique church and a unique calling. But going out and facing the first obstacle, facing the first giant in the land that we're supposed to be walking into, our schedules, our friends, our unsaved loved ones that feel like an emotional nightmare sometimes because they're not supportive, our finances going and dealing with another health issue, that's when it's tough. That's when it's tough to say, okay, God, I, I know you've called me to this, but these are the obstacles. What report are you going to give? What's the lens you're going to give? Are you going to say, okay, I'm facing this. God, this is, my, this is my opportunity to see what you'll do. Or is it, well, God, I mean, you know, you know, you know what I'm dealing with. You know that I have to work. You know that I, you know, you know that I have these responsibilities. You know how difficult my parents are. As a reason to not go into the land, it's really a choice. It's an opportunity that presents itself. And David's anointing didn't automatically give him the throne either. So all of this, all of this is applied to us. And and some of us, the weird, weird thing, this is the last thing I'll say that, that I just felt like the Lord showed me today in listening to Greg is, Sometimes even knowing the promise, like some of you know that, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, let's just say you, you're, you, want, you know you're, God's called you into counseling, and you're thinking, God's called me into counseling, so I'm going to get my training in counseling. Sometimes the steps we take toward where we know God has us are where we get tri- tripped up in the will of God, because we're like, well, I'm only doing what I know God's calling me to do. But we don't recognize that it is the will of God to do his will every single day. Like, we know God's called us to this church to start this work. That doesn't mean we can't make tons of mistakes along the way. 
That doesn't mean that when I'm waiting for a certain thing, especially in women's ministry, that I can't make a wrong decision stepping out of the will of God by operating in my ministry something that's not for him. Do you see what I'm saying? I think sometimes we see God is calling me to that, so therefore it's like, well, God's calling me to be trained, and it just so happens that, you know, I'm going to have six months of a really, really tough deal, so you're not going to see me for six months because I'm going to work toward what God's calling me to do. We have to be careful that... You know, it's the will of God that we be thankful. It's the will of God that we be in relationship with him. If you're too busy to pray and read your Bible and connect with him, then even if in your mind you're telling yourself that, well, I know I'm too busy, but I'm working toward the calling that God's having for me, something's wrong. Because God will never put you in a calling path that leads you away from him and with intimacy and relationship. So the deception can be really sneaky sometimes. That we're busy in the doing, we're on the path, we're doing church, you know, uh, like, ho, ho, off to church I go, I'm doing my thing, and, you know, and, and, and we feel like we, we do the, the, the you know, we, we punch the time card for certain things and we're okay because of the con, but we're getting actually off track. And it would really, really be um, sad to be deceived and thinking that we're on the path that he has us and we're not. So that's why every day, man, every day we are like, Lord, don't let us step one little bit. Because, see, that's the way the enemy works. He he's not going to get you so off track that you're like, well, now let's just, we're just not even into the calling anymore. No, he's going to get us off track as close to the calling as possible, but not what God wants. That's right. It's really interesting. And so that's where we're staying surrendered every day, staying on our face before God, not letting God give us the program. Okay, thank you, thank you for the program. Okay, now I don't need you. I'm just going to follow the program. That's what happens to churches. And I, I believe that that's what's attempting to try to happen in ignition is that you know the basics, you know the basic game plan you think, and so you're, you're clinging and walking with your plan rather than walking with the Lord Jesus Christ in intimacy and relationship. So um, thank you so much for that fantastic word. Um, boy, uh, we just need that reminder every day, don't we? 